So what's your favorite punctuation mark? You've got quite a few to choose from, 16 of them at least. Are you a comma queen or a dash dropper? If you're a person who likes closure, you probably use a lot of periods. If you like things open-ended, you probably prefer the ellipsis, the dot, dot, dot. This summer, we're thinking of our lives as stories that are punctuated by seasons and circumstances that provide us with opportunities to experience God, to encounter God. Pastor Tom got us started last week reminding us that life was never meant to be lived as one continuous run-on sentence without rhythm or pace or inflection. And so God wants to meet us in all the moments and events of our lives to help us find meaning in them, to find beauty in them, and above all, to find him in them. So last week, we talked about the, the phenomenon of parentheses. And in life, a parenthesis can feel like a break in the action, like an interruption or a detour. But if you look more closely, it turns out the information inside that parentheses, you really need that to understand the bigger picture. And so we looked at the life of Moses and learned that his 40 years in the Midian desert were not a timeout or a detour, but actually were a very important part of the larger story. God was using those years to prepare Moses for the most significant work of his life, which began at the age of 80, by the way. And so we learned that a well-punctuated life embraces seasons of uncertainty, recognizing them as opportunities for God to prepare us for the next chapter of our story. And it could be that summertime is a bit of parenthesis for us, a pause in the action. What might God be doing in your life this summer to prepare you for the next chapter in your story? Now, maybe you're not nerdy enough to have a favorite punctuation mark. But as a person who makes his living with words, I happen to have two of them. One is the comma. I hate to see a good sentence end. So I have a tendency, as you well know, to keep on adding phrases, wanting to keep the fun going. And we'll talk about comma in a couple of weeks. My other favorite is the exclamation point. Now, an exclamation point communicates emphasis, strong feeling, intensity. Someone said that, uh, a grammarian says that a, a good writer should think of the exclamation point the way a driver thinks of the horn on the car. You shouldn't use it often, but when you do, use it with authority. Now, I happen to like the horn on my car and probably use it more than I ought to, so I'm all about the quest, the exclamation point. Exclamation point takes a statement of fact and turns it into an expression of emotion. Statement of fact into an expression of emotion. Take this sentence, for instance. The Red Sox won, period. Now, that's a statement of fact. It's accurate, it's informative, but we have no idea of the emotion behind that. What does the speaker feeling as he or she says those words? Now take those same four words and put an exclamation point at the end of them, and now that sentence crackles with energy and emotion. The Red Sox won! Now the interesting thing about the exclamation point is that it, it can represent a variety of emotions. Take this sentence, for instance. We don't know how the person feels about this particular exclamation. If you hear these words spoken at a bar near Fenway Park, it's probably a shout of joy. Hear these words spoken by a cabbie in the Bronx, and it probably betrays a different emotion. 
The point is the exclamation point brings emotional expression to whatever is happening. Joy, wonder, surprise, anger, any one of those things. The exclamation point forces us to pay attention to this sentence, to pay attention to this moment, and consider the significance and the feeling behind it. And that's why I like the exclamation point. It's all about passion. It's about passion. One online dictionary gives us two definitions for the word passion. The second definition I'm going to save till the end. The, sec the first one I want to give you right now. Passion is a strong and barely controllable emotion. That sounds scary. A barely controllable emotion. Now, we should point out, God didn't give us the exclamation point. Okay, that's a human invention. But God did give us emotions to serve as exclamation points in our journey through life, to mark moments of intensity and strong feeling and barely controllable emotion. It's all about living life with passion. So what makes you mad or sad or glad? How can we experience and encounter God in these feelings, these emotionally evocative moments? Why is it so important to live life with passion? Those are the things we want to explore for a few minutes together today. To do that, I'd like to introduce you to one of the most passionate people in all the Bible. His name is Jonathan, and his story is told in an ancient book of history known as 1 Samuel. So let's drop in on him at a few points in his story and see what we can learn about living life with passion. We'll begin the story in chapter 13, verse 1. Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah of Benjamin. Now, just to set the scene, Saul is the first king of Israel, and he has some admirable qualities, but he's going to prove to be a tentative and impetuous ruler more concerned with his own agenda and glory than with God's. Jonathan is his son, so next in line to the throne, and a warrior and a leader in his own right. Let's skip ahead a little bit later in the chapter. Now a detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass at Michmash. One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost." But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. Now, the Philistines were a ruthless, warlike people who were occupying the Israelites' land, harassing them and even oppressing them. And Jonathan apparently grows impatient with his father's reluctance to engage the enemy. And so he goes looking for trouble. He goes looking for an opportunity to strike a blow for the nation of Israel. And so he and his armor bearers set out to, uh, to do a reconnaissance mission to this Philistine outpost atop a craggy hill. It's at a place called Micmash. So you know something gritty is going to go down here, right? <laughs> Micmash. Verse 6. Let's go across to the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Well, Jonathan is incensed that these idol-worshiping pagans should be challenging the God of Israel and interfering in the lives of his people. And he has complete confidence in God's ability to do something about it, should God choose to do so. And so they begin making their way up this cliff 
with the Philistine outpost up on top. But as they begin climbing their way up, the Philistine soldiers begin to mock the two of them. The men from the outpost shouted, come on up here and we'll teach you a lesson. Well, now they've gone and made Jonathan mad. No one mocks the people of God and the armies of Israel and gets away with it. So he says to his armor bearer, come on, climb right up behind me for the Lord will help us defeat them. So they climb up that cliff, hands and feet, no belay ropes, no carabiners. And the two of them take on the whole detachment of 20 soldiers. They kill them and reclaim that high ground for the army of Israel. Now, we should point out that the, the ancient manuscripts, the Hebrew manuscripts, the Greek manuscripts, they don't have punctuation marks as we know them. So it's up to translators and interpreters to put those punctuation marks into our scriptures. I happen to agree with these translators that this is a moment that demands an exclamation point. I mean, talk about strong feeling. Talk about barely controllable emotion. This is a reckless maneuver on their part. Two against 20 exposing themselves to enemy fire as they climb up a, a sheer rock face. But someone had to step up, Jonathan sensed. Someone had to act for the, for the glory of God, for the defense of the nation of Israel. Jonathan's passion for God and for his nation inspires him to take action. And that day, he and his armor bearers send a message that would not be missed by the Philistines and by the armies of Israel. God wins! Exclamation point. And so what we learn from Jonathan here is the importance and the power of living life with passion. There are times in which we need to speak and act with passion for God for God's glory and for God's purposes. There are times we need to say and do something with such feeling and such intensity that it demands an exclamation point. This past week, we celebrated Vacation Bible School here at, uh, on the Lexington campus. Had 500-plus kids here in the house singing and dancing and crafting and creating, uh, just like kids are meant to do. It was a terrific week. Well, each day, the kids would learn one important truth about God, here in the large group lesson, Maggie the Maker would teach them this truth. And then the kids would respond in a certain way. Now, how many VBS students and helpers do we have here today? Okay, raise your hand here in Lexington and even on the venues as well. If you're at Vacation Bible School, all right, well, I hope there's enough, but I'm going to count on you. I need your help here, okay? We're going to show them how it's done. Well, what happened is Maggie the Maker would declare some truth about God, and then the whole crowd would respond in a certain way. So you ready? Tech, you ready? Here we go. God made you. All right, that's what I'm talking about. Wow, God. Did you hear it? More importantly, did you feel it? Maybe we need to try it again. Everybody this time, okay? One more time. God made you. Wow, God. There, that's more like it, okay? Now you're feeling it. There's joy there. There's wonder there. There's gratitude there. Hundreds of kids discovering there's a God who loves them and made them for a purpose in this world. How can you not say, wow, God, to that? And by the way, did you notice a comma and a punctuation mark in that one slide? 
Now, Watertown is doing VBS in a couple weeks, so if you miss the fun and you want to help out there, you can, you can join them. You see, there are certain truths that demand an emotional response. There are certain moments that require us to speak and act with passion. When was the last time outside of VBS you said, wow, God, and said it out loud with feelings so that someone else could hear it, so that someone else could feel it? When was the last time you sang at the top of your lungs in worship? When was the last time you threw your hands in the air or gave God a high five? There are times to speak and act with passion for God. But it's not always about joy and wonder. Sometimes it's about sadness or disappointment or desperation. When was the last time you hit your knees and wept with sadness for your sin or for the world's brokenness? When was the last time you cried about the state of the world we live in? When was the last time you literally cried out to God, help, because that's how badly you needed him. When was the last time you shook a fist in the direction of heaven and said, what gives God? Barely controllable emotion. Now, as uncomfortable and even sacrilegious as a moment like that might feel, I believe God would rather have you shake a fist toward heaven than to ignore him because he wants to meet you in those moments. He wants to reveal himself to you in, in those emotionally evocative experiences of life. He wants to speak to you. He wants to speak through you. He wants to be with you. And he wants to do something with the moments of our lives as wonder, the wonderful ones and the awful ones. And so when we're feeling something, bring it to God. Say it, sing it, act upon it. Because when, when, when we refuse to feel those things, when we don't allow ourselves to say them, we end up robbing ourselves of a moment to experience the fullness of God's presence and even the fullness of being a human being. I know some of us are more emotional than others. Some of us are more expressive than others. But there are times and moments and circumstances in life that prompt all of us to feel something deeply and to say something freely, and to do something almost reckless to express that emotion, to put an exclamation point on what's happening in our lives. So that's one of many times we find Jonathan acting with passion. Let's jump ahead to later in the story, chapter 18. Now, by this time, a, a young man named David has come along and has uh, won a great victory for God and Israel by killing the Philistine giant, Goliath. Let's pick up the story in chapter 18. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. So now David is living in the king's household, and so he and Jonathan become fast friends. 
And why not? I mean, they're kindred spirits, aren't they? They're both brave warriors. They both have a passion for God and for the nation. And so they form a close bond. In fact, Jonathan is so devoted to David that he gives him his royal robes and weapons. Now, that's not just a generous gift. That's a, that's a symbolic gift, suggesting his willingness to even allow David to take his place as the next king of Israel, perhaps. Now, we'll come back to their friendship in just a minute, but I want to show you something else first. David quickly becomes even more popular than Saul in Israel. And so Saul begins to feel threatened by David's presence and even jealous of him. When David tries to tell this to Jonathan, his friend refuses to believe it. Look how Jonathan responds in chapter 20. Never, Jonathan replied. You're not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without confiding in me. Why would he hide this from me? It's not so. Jonathan refuses to believe that his father, the king, would do such a thing because it's not right. It's not true. It's not fair. David is loyal to the king and loyal to Israel. He has served God and the nation well. When David insists that it's true, Jonathan actually offers to go and intercede for David with his father. And that turns out to be a risky thing to do. One night over dinner, Jonathan tries to intercede on David's behalf. And he says, why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. I guess so. Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger. That second day of the month, he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. See, Jonathan had a passion for justice. He couldn't let this falsehood stand. He couldn't let his father, the king of Israel, do something that was so wrong, so unjust. Even if that king was his father, even if it meant risking his ascent to the throne, even if it meant risking his life, he had to speak. He had to do something. Justice demanded it. And there are moments in our lives when justice demands that we speak or do something. When we confront an evil or an injustice that's so disturbing to us, we feel it deeply. But feeling it is not always enough. We need to do something with that feeling. We need to speak or act. Moments like that demand an explanation point. This weekend, we're celebrating our nation's independence. It's a good time to remember the, the passion of our founding fathers. We're going to celebrate this weekend with fireworks. I mean, talk about an exclamation point. But anything less than fireworks would feel too puny for the fighting spirit, for the visionary dreams of our founding mothers and fathers. And so we go to the fireworks. I'm trying to imagine Patrick Henry speaking to the Virginia Convention back in 1775. And he stands up and says, um, you know, I, I don't know. Um, you know, give me liberty or, I don't know, just give me death. <laughs> I don't think so. Give me liberty or give me death. 
He was passionate about that. How about Captain John Parker down here on the Lexington Green as the regulars come marching down the road? He says, if they mean to have a war, let it begin here. And he shouted it. Now, these weren't, these weren't professional soldiers, these Minutemen. These are farmers and merchants. But they were so incensed by what they sensed was an injustice. They were so emboldened by the belief in human freedom and dignity that they were willing to stand up, that they were willing to lay down their lives as some of them did that day. Friends, when was the last time you got so worked up about something that you could barely control yourself? Something that compelled you to speak or act for what's right and fair and true and good. God gives us feelings. He gives us emotions because sometimes we need those to stir us to do what's good and right and true. So what makes you mad? Human trafficking? Racial injustice? Rampant abortion? Systemic poverty? Children go to bed hungry at night? Refugees living in squalid camps. What makes you mad? What makes you mad enough to say something? Or to write a check? Or to volunteer with some organization or church that's actually doing something about those issues? Feelings can prompt us to do that. We're sending CCLE teams all over the, all over the, the world this, this summer. Because people on these teams care. They care that, that much about bringing fresh water to thirsty people, about cleaning up rundown neighborhoods, about helping children have a better chance in life, about sharing the good news of Christ with people who've not heard, about bringing encouragement to refugee families living in camps. They care enough about that that they're willing to, to, to spend months in preparation, to spend a week of their vacation, and to spend a chunk of money to go. We talk a lot around here at Grace about finding your go, your God-given mission in this world. One of the ways we find our go is to ask ourselves what makes us mad or sad or glad because those feelings stirred by God's Spirit within us may be pointing us in a direction that we might go with our lives. So Jonathan has a passion for God. He has a passion for justice. And finally, he has a passion for the people who are important to him like his friend David. So when it becomes clear that uh, David's life really is in danger, they begin to understand that these two friends, they're going to have to part company for their own safety. And in chapter 20, we come to one of the most emotionally moving passages or scenes in all of Scripture. David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together. But David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to the town. Now, there's no exclamation point in the text, but there's strong feeling here. There's barely controllable emotion. This is not some macho bro hug. These guys throw their arms around each other. They weep like babies. They kiss each other on the neck, which was what men did in those days. 
And there are moments in all of our lives when we need to just throw caution to the wind and freely and fully express our love for the people God brings into our lives. So let me ask you, when was, when was the last time you looked at someone special in your life and, and just told them, I love you, actually said those words? Husbands, wives, when was the last time you did something spontaneous, something outrageous, something sacrificial to express your love for your spouse? Parents, when was the last time you threw your arms around your kids, whatever age they are, and told them how happy you are for every single day you get to spend with them? Now, again, I realize some of us are more free with our emotions than others. Some are more comfortable with these kinds of things. But friends, there are moments in life, there are feelings we have that demand that we say and do something, sometime with reckless abandon. There are moments in life we need to laugh out loud with each other. We need to weep together over some joy or sorrow or, or some parting that we have. We were made to feel things deeply and to live life with passion. But right about now, you might be asking, why? Why did God make us this way? I mean, feelings, they can be so messy. They can be hard to manage. Don't our emotions get us into trouble sometimes? I mean, isn't it enough for logic and reason to compel us to do the right thing or the good thing? Why do we need to have feelings? Why did God make us this way? To feel things so deeply. It's because certain things really matter. Certain things really matter. The glory of God and the purposes of God matter. Justice matters. People matter. Parents, children, husbands, wives matter. Life matters. Death matters. And because things matter, we need to feel them deeply and express what we're feeling in words and actions. God gave us emotions so that we would feel these things and the importance of them and that we might experience him in those moments as well. And so a well-punctuated life is marked by moments of passion for things that really matter. A well-punctuated life is marked by passion for things that really matter, by strong and barely controllable emotions that compel us to speak and act for God, for justice, for the people that we love. Now, the curious thing, and maybe the unfortunate thing, is that sometimes we find it easier to express emotions for things that really don't matter all that much, like a ball game or Jay-Z's latest album, or the new iPhone that just came out, or somebody who cut us off in traffic. I don't know why that is. Why can we so easily throw our hands in the air and hug a stranger at a ball game, but feel reluctant to do the same thing at church in a worship service? Why do we sometimes get angrier about slow service in a restaurant than about the fact that millions of children will go to bed without food that evening? Now, I'm not trying to beat up on us or be unreasonable. I, I, I enjoy some of these other things as, as, as much as the next person. 
I've been known to scream at the TV when my TV does, my team does something stupid or to jump up and down on the couch when they get it right. I've been known to lose my cool in traffic sometimes. It's not really stifle all those emotions. God gave, it's fine to be excited about music or sports or whatever floats your boat or makes your heart beat fast. These are all gifts of God. But let's be sure we save our strongest passion for the things that truly, truly matter in life. God, justice, and the people that God brings into our lives. Because that's what Jesus did for us. I told you at the beginning, there are two definitions in the dictionary for passion. The first is strong and barely uncontrollable feelings. The second is the suffering and death of Christ on the cross. Isn't that interesting? The word we use to describe what Jesus did on the cross is the word passion. When he took the lash and the nails and the spear, when he took the rejection and the abandonment and the desertion and the betrayal, it wasn't just an act of obedience on his part. It wasn't a cold calculus of propitiation and atonement. It was love and affection. It was a deep burden for justice to be done, for evil to be vanquished, for right to win the day, for death to be conquered, and for life to reign for love for all people, even those who were his enemies, even those who hated him, love for all of us. And he was prepared to do whatever it would take to lay down his life in passionate love that we might be forgiven and free. And when it was accomplished, just before the end, he said something from the cross. You remember what it was. It is finished. Now, I don't know how he said it, but there had to be an exclamation point at the end because this wasn't just a statement of fact. This was a declaration of independence that we could be forgiven and free through faith in what he did on that cross. And so a well-punctuated life is marked by moments of passion for things that really matter. Believing that God wants to meet us in those moments, to be with us in those feelings, and to do something redemptive in and through us and in the world. So let me leave you with just a few questions. What, what or who stirs up strong feelings inside of you? Which emotions come easiest for you? Mad, sad, bad, or glad? And which ones are hardest for you? And when was the last time you said or did something with such intensity that it demanded an exclamation point? Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for these moments to think in a fresh way about the experiences and events of our lives, about the way that you've made us. And we're delighted to discover, Lord, that we don't have to be afraid of our feelings, that you're ready to meet us in those moments, to be close to us, to heal and help and inspire and inflame us to do and be something more and good in this world, to do so in a way that brings you glory, that blesses others, and fills our hearts with joy. So help us understand ourselves and what's happening in our lives these days and meet us in whatever moment we find ourselves in today. 
In Jesus' name, amen.